Well, good morning, Peer family. Welcome to our online service together. If you're new today, my name is Jason, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Pier. Just want to welcome you into our online gathering. Now, you might notice that I'm in a bit of a different space right now. I'm actually filming from home right now. I actually had a really bad cold through the week, and it's turned into a sinus thing. So I'm filming from home. We weren't able to uh, to pre-record it this week in the normal way. Um, and I'm going to try my best not to sound all nasally today, so hopefully <laughs> that works. But just wanted you to know that. And also, you'll notice that this week is the beginning of just putting out our messages on Sundays. Last week was the, the final filming, for now, of our online worship. And the reason for that, some of you have been wondering, you know, why the change? Well, we are really grateful for what we were able to do during the lockdowns, during the COVID lockdowns, because actually, many people don't know this, but the equipment that we had, it was donated to us for over that time. So it was actually always a temporary thing. And we are so grateful for being able to do that. So for the time being, because we're able to meet in person now, we're pressing pause on our online worship part and just doing our messages. Um, and so we want you to know that they will be available each Sunday starting at 6 p.m. and beyond. And you'll be able to still connect with us that way. And if you are at home and you're unable to come join us in person, we want you to know that we love you and we care a lot about you. We want you to feel connected. So that's why we're continuing to make available our messages. And also, we want you to know that if you need prayer, if you want to talk to someone, feel free to contact us, especially even contact me, myself, at jason at the church. If you want to talk and pray, feel free to contact me. And also, we want you to know that we really value small group ministry, just a time together where you can be yourself, explore spirituality, explore faith in Christ, and pray together and all of that great stuff. And there are still, this year, going in through the year, some on, some online peer groups, online small groups that are going through the material together, talking together, praying together on Zoom. So if you'd like to be connected in that way, feel free to send us a, send us an email to check into it at info at the peer dot church, and you'll be able to, we can connect you to one of our peer groups. We really want everyone to be able to stay connected, even if you can only join us online. Great. Okay, I'm going to move now into our message. But before we do that, I thought let's pray together uh, to just kind of quiet our minds and focus on God being ready to hear from Him today. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Whenever we're listening to this right now, it could be Sunday evening, it could be uh, Sunday, um, it, it could be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever during the week. Just thank you for this chance, this chance to pray together now and this chance to hear from you, from Scripture, through your Holy Spirit. We just want to say, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Speak to me today. We want to hear from you. And so that in that way, you can continue the work in each of us that you're doing. We thank you that that work is always grounded in your great love, Lord God. So we thank you for your love and the peace that comes with it, the peace that is ours. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
great. As I prayed that, I realized I might have said good morning at the beginning of this. That's presuming that you're watching it in the morning, which very well might not be the case. <laughs> so sorry for the confusion there. Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump into my message for today. And we're looking again from Ecclesiastes. We're still in our series called Words of Wisdom. And today I'm calling it Freedom from Futility. If you've been listening to our messages on Ecclesiastes, you know that a big theme is just that. It's futility. Um, if we get that right away, Ephesians, or sorry, Ecclesiastes 1 verses 2 to 4. Futile, futile, laments the teacher. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. You wonder if he could put that word in anymore. <clears throat> well, he does put it in quite a lot more through the rest of the book. And we've talked about how that word, well, it means futile, meaningless, smoke. It's this idea that there isn't really anything permanent of lasting value in life. And we're going to explore that today, just why Ecclesiastes says that. But we're not going to leave off there because the New Testament gives us actually a whole different perspective. So we're going to pick up Paul in Romans 8 where he talks about this seeming futility of the world. He picks up on that Ecclesiastes theme. But he says that because of Jesus, actually things aren't futile in the end. God is doing something behind the scenes maybe, but he's doing something through Christ where he is changing it all, leading us toward just the opposite of futility. And so we can have hope because of Jesus that things won't end the way that they seem. They won't end in this seeming futility. So we're going to explore that, the relationship between Ecclesiastes and Paul as he talks in Romans. And especially we're going to get practical at the end because we want to see what that means for those who follow Jesus. Because certainly what we're going to see is that, yes, there's pain right now because of the futility, but we can help people point by pointing them to Jesus. We can help people to have hope even amidst the pain. Great. Okay, so let's let's dive in. Let's start reading from Ecclesiastes. And we're going to follow the case that Ecclesiastes makes for this futility. And by the way, the person who's saying these things, um, in one translation, the one that I had earlier, the NET translation, um, it, he's called the teacher. And we're meant to associate him with Solomon. Could be Solomon who's, who's writing all of this. At least we're meant to have Solomon in mind. Someone like Solomon. Um, but the word there is koalath. And it could stand for a few other things. The, the message translation puts quester, someone who's on a quest. It means someone who's collecting things too. It means someone who's collecting wisdom, all for the purpose of teaching. So I'm going to be mentioning the koaleth when I talk here, because it's the koaleth who's speaking to us, who's building this case. All right, so let's see what the case is. <clears throat> well, first off, in Ecclesiastes 1, he surveys everything. He gives us this really beautiful piece of poetry to talk about why everything's futile. So let's read that together. So it's one, um, chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Futile, futile, laments the teacher. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. What benefit do people get from all the effort which they expend on earth? A generation comes and a generation goes. 
but the earth remains the same through the ages. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries away to a place from which it rises again. The wind goes to the south and circles around to the north. Round and around the wind goes, and on its rounds it returns. All the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. And to the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All this is monotony, and it's tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. There's an interesting turn there, eh? Because he starts out with this beautiful descriptions of nature, but then at the end, the conclusion is monotony. The book ends of this are futility, monotony, it's tiresome. He's pointing at all the cycles in the world. The sun rises, the sun sets, the seasons come, the seasons go, the wind blows in this direction, kind of cycling around. All these areas we can point to in nature, endless cycles. And because of that, he goes on to say, really, nothing new happens. Nothing new happens under the sun. Nothing really new happens on earth. And he brings in the human perspective now and says, we might point to something and say, well, this is new, isn't it? And here's his response. Actually, it's old. (laughs) Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we're doing now. He brings in this perspective of time. You give it enough time, nothing new happens. Everything is like endless cycles. Well, next in chapter, actually the end of chapter one, going into chapter two, he continues to bring in the human perspective. Because we might be tempted to think, okay, maybe there's futility, endless cycles, mundaneness for nature, the created world of nature, but surely humans can do things to rise above it, to, to free ourselves from that futility. And he, so what he does is he takes a look at some of the things that we might do to try to escape it. He tries them all out. So the first one, what he tries out is uh, what the message translation calls the fun-filled life, or what the NET more puts it a little more negatively, um, self-indulgent pleasure. So there, I think what he does is something that our culture would resonate with, our North American culture. I know me, if I'm thinking of this from the point of view in my teenage years, early 20s, I would say this as well. Well, have you tried taking the fun-filled life? Have you tried, you know, trying to live that billionaire lifestyle? Because surely that will help you escape from the mundaneness. So he does it. He tries partying, what the NET says, behaving foolishly, (laughs) so partying, drinking, and all of that. He does the whole billionaire lifestyle, gathers insane amounts of money, has mansions, everything you could want. He goes in for the whole concubine thing, which is the Old Testament PG way of putting all of that, tries it all. He says, there's nothing I denied myself. How does he put it here about impulses? Um, He says, uh, oops, sorry, I'm having trouble finding it. Oh, yeah, here we go. I gave in to every impulse. I held nothing back. Tries it all. And again, if we're honest, I think our culture would say, okay, well, didn't that work? Didn't that help you escape what you've been talking about? But his conclusion is this. All these achievements and possessions are ultimately profitless, like chasing the wind. There is nothing gained from them on the earth. He tries it all out and he says, well, actually, at the end of it all, 
I didn't really gain anything. There was no lasting value in it. And so it didn't help me escape that futility. So then he goes on to try wisdom. This here, again, I think our culture would resonate with. It's like, have you tried just trying to figure things out and to figure out what a meaningful life would be like? So bring together all the scientific wisdom about how creation works, how nature works. Bring in the psychology to figure out what it takes to live a good life. Bring in morality, all of that, to try and understand what it takes to live a meaningful life. That one, too, he says, well, during your lifetime, it does seem better than going the way of folly, kind of rejecting all that collected and collective wisdom. But he says, even that, too, doesn't help us escape from the futility, the endless cycles, the mundaneness. He says, the benefit of wisdom, they're ultimately meaningless. Now we're in chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be remembered for very long, because in the days to come, both will already have been forgotten. Alas, the wise man dies, just like the fool. So he says it gives you some temporary meaning to kind of gives humanity, so maybe some temporary meaning if you look at it from the vantage point of an individual life. But when you zoom out and add enough time, you realize that no matter how wisely you live, it's not going to have this lasting impact. You won't be remembered as a wise person. And that, for a lot of cultures, was the biggest thing. At least you could leave a legacy, right? At least you could be remembered for what you've done. But he's saying, given enough generations coming and going, and even the wisest person will be forgotten. Time will cancel that out. So then he goes into another one. What about work? Again, I feel like he's reading our culture. It's just amazing to me how much I know kind of my way of thinking too um, would line up with what Ecclesiastes talks about. So what about work? Go the way of achievement. Work really, really hard to try and accomplish something amazing. Surely that will help you break out of this cycle of futility that everything is in. Well, here's what he says about that. 2, 22 to 23. What does a man acquire from all his labor and from the anxiety that accompanies his toil on earth? For all day long his work produces pain and frustration, and even at night his mind cannot relax. This also is futile. He says if you're going to go into that obsessing about trying to do something incredible, working seven days a week, all of that, he says really, you're just adding anxiety to an already short life. You're not just bringing in more worry, more pain into the equation. It's not something that's going to help you break out of the cycle of futility. So overall, then, he reaches the striking conclusion that humans, there's nothing we can do to change the fact that everything is futile. We may think that we can break out of the cycle, that we are special in some way. But he says, actually, We're not. And here's what he says. Um, We're no better off than animals. As one dies, so dies the other. Both have the same breath. There is no advantage for humans over animals, for both are fleeting. Both go to the same place. Both come from dust, and to dust both return. Who really knows if the human spirit ascends upward and the animal's spirit descends into the earth? So you bring this all together. And that's why the Koalith says that everything is futile. 
futile, futile. Everything is futile. You know what? Just to, to press pause for a second. Um, this sounds a lot like a really popular view called nihilism. This started as a philosophical concept, but it's become, I'd say, a pretty popular idea, maybe even a bit of a popular outlook. Um, if we put it in a philosophical way, nihilism says that it's not possible for anyone to live a meaningful life. We might be able to imagine what that would look like, but it's not possible to actually achieve it. And there's <clears throat> a number of varieties of it, but the Coaleth's version of it actually sounds like one of the most prominent ones. I think first put out by a man named Thomas Nagel. And here's how he put it. You'll see, I think, the parallels here. So Nagel is bringing in contemporary science and all that we know about the vastness of the universe and how old the universe is. And he says, okay, imagine that you could take the most external standpoint, most external viewpoint of the universe. So you can see the entire timeline and you can see physically, geographically, the, entire, the entirety of the universe. Okay, now from that viewpoint, imagine that you can locate your life or any single human life. It would just be this tiny little speck. Actually, it wouldn't even really register. So he's saying, if you take that viewpoint, it's hard to imagine any one life having lasting value. It's hard to imagine anything that any one life could do um, that could you know, have an impact that would reverberate, that would create ripples, uh, that would, you know, impact things when we're talking billions of years, when we're talking billions of light years. So from that external perspective, life seems futile. That seems like there isn't lasting meaning. Hence, nihilism. So, hence what the Coaleth says, everything's futile. You bring in, you bring in death, the perspective of death, you bring in enough time, the endless cycle of things. It seems like everything's futile. And this is a more prevalent view than maybe, if this is new to you, <clears throat> this is maybe more prevalent than you realize. I know I'm really familiar with it from talking to people, especially in the university world, but I was reading an article in The Guardian recently that talked about how, you know, especially with younger generations, this is a prevalent view. You go back to kind of when I was in high school, into, you know, university days, and it was a popular thing. And it's still popular now with younger generations. The, the only difference is the way that it's, um, the, the approach to it, the reaction to it. I know, for me, I think about the music of my youth, alternative rock. You listen to those lyrics, it captures it well. It was a negative reaction to it, existential angst. Like, what are we to do? There isn't meaning in life, just depression and all of that because of it. But now, um, as the Guardian article said, it's a sunny nihilism. So it takes a different approach. It says, okay, well, everything, sure, in the long term, there's no meaning. So why then are we stressing about things? That means that we shouldn't stress about trying to achieve these um, crazy things and, and that we should stress over our decisions as if they matter so much. They're saying, well, if things don't really matter, we might as well relax and enjoy life. That actually lines up quite a lot with Ecclesiastes, because what does the Coleth say about all of this? He says, I've concluded that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. <clears throat> well, 
there's wisdom to that. We're going to talk about that at the end. But this isn't the final word. We're not ending in Ecclesiastes. We're going to move now to Paul, the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 8. Because Paul takes up this theme of futility, but gives it a whole different perspective because of Jesus. So let's go there together. So I'm going to be reading from Romans 8, um, 18 to 24. We're going to see because of Jesus, everything changes. The outlook changes. He says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Alright, so we see the futility theme is there, but Paul's giving us a whole different perspective on it. And I like what N.T. Wright says about this passage. N.T. Wright has made some great commentaries. Paul for everybody is is one of the names that they go by. And uh, so I'm going to be drawing from him a little bit here. But he makes the point at how this is, this verse, is kind of like what we were at when we were talking about Thomas Nagel, that most external viewpoint. Here we're giving, given a viewpoint from God's perspective of God's salvation plan, salvation plan for the entire universe from beginning to end, so to speak. Not that there's going to be an end, but beginning to new, new well, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but um, N.T. Wright compares it to like a mountaintop view, and, and he says this, From this point, we can see in astonishing clarity the whole plan of salvation for all of God's creation. In other words, like I said, this we're getting God's point of view of the universe. So, what do we see from this vantage point? Well, there's an agreement that there is indeed futility. Ecclesiastes the Koaleth was correct in a certain way, because Paul says that the creation was subjected to futility. That gives it a little twist for a second. But you see that futility, that word there in the Greek, it maps onto what is being said in Ecclesiastes. Paul is picking up on that futility theme. And the parallel continues for Paul. He says that it's because of the bondage to decay. Paul is in agreement. There's futility because of this slavery to death, because of the fact that nothing can escape the cycles ending in death. Um, but here, Paul, uh, and actually, oh yeah, by the way, Paul says that all creation, not just humans, are groaning in that condition. There's pain because of that futility. But Paul makes a link also to Genesis 3 by saying that it was subjected to futility. It, was, it wasn't kind of originally um, intended to be that way by God. So he's making a link to the great fall. We're not going to get into that in detail, but if you read it in Genesis 3, um, put it really generally, 
the for the early humans, <laughs> they made a decision to reject God, to go it in their own way. We've talked about this before, to go it in their own wisdom, rejecting God's wisdom. And um, because of that, this impacted all of creation. Among a number of things, uh, it says this in Genesis 3, that it says God is saying this, the ground is cursed because of you. In painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. The ground, creation, there's a curse subjected to futility now. Whereas the idea, the, the hope was that it would be a harmonious place. Now disorder comes in. Now the relationship between humanity and creation has changed where it was once supposed to be this relationship where, you know, it wouldn't be toil. It wouldn't be like the fruit of the ground wouldn't come because of toil and hardship and pain. Um, but here, because of this curse, everything has changed. And that's the case. Now, not to get into a debate here, but just so you know, some interpret this as saying that God caused this curse. Others interpret it as being this curse is the natural outcome, the natural consequence of humanity rejecting God and God's ways. But either way that you read it, this is what Paul is pointing to in all creation being subjected to futility. And let's reflect on that for a minute, because I'm sure if we think about enough examples, we can see what Paul is talking about here. And he's talking about, you know, what we've talked about in Ecclesiastes, the endless cycle of things, and this whole everything going back to death. <clears throat> so we think of the seasons from one vantage point. Yes, there's new life in the spring, but in Canada, we're well aware that moves into winter, and the, the trees, the leaves go away, the vegetation goes away, and all of that. Or anything that's born ends up dying at some point. Nothing can escape that. And also, we can think of natural disasters, I think, as a good example of this futility as well. N.T. Wright makes this great point. If we think of creation, <clears throat> he says that creation can sometimes appear like a caged buffalo. All that energy, and it's not achieving anything. So, I'm not sure why I used the, a buffalo there, but you can just imagine any wild, really um, powerful animal being caged. And there's nothing really, it's, it's expending energy, but not really achieving or doing anything of that's making sense. He's talking about natural disasters there. In Ontario, we're pretty fortunate. We don't experience the kind of natural disasters that have been going on around the world. We think of um, Canadians in BC being close to forest fires and all that, that that's happening there. Or if you lived near a volcano, what that would be like. Or near a fault line <clears throat> where experiencing these terrible earthquakes. It's like nature is this caged wild creature. All this energy that's being expelled. But for what purpose? It just seems so futile and it's painful for those who experience it. So that's the futility that Paul is talking about there. And there's something in us that groans against it, that rebels against it. We're thinking it shouldn't be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. So Paul would be in agreement. Now, he says that indeed all creation is groaning that way and even humanity are groaning in that way. But 
because it, as the kind of the clue about it being subjected to futility, this isn't as God intends. And God is actually doing something to overcome it. And that's where we get this different perspective. And we see it in the new analogy that Paul brings in. Remember what he said here. He says that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains up until now. So this is interesting in light of Ecclesiastes. We would expect all creation to be groaning what the Koleth said. Futility, futility, everything is futile, that sort of thing, right? But no, Paul says that actually there's groaning, there's pain, but it's labor pains. It's from labor. And just to tie it all together, remember how Ecclesiastes, the futility was because nothing new ever happens. There's no breaking out of these cycles, especially there's no breaking away from death. Well, okay, labor, that means new life. That points to something brand new. God is doing something, bringing new life, bring, doing something brand new. And so something new is happening and the groans are actually a sign that this is happening. The stage of futility was just a stage. Something new is happening because of Jesus. And Paul describes that in a few words that are really important. He says that something new is something that's glory that's about to be revealed. He says that it's freedom. All creation waits for that freedom that's going to be revealed. And also that it's adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So glory, that's far from futility, right? That is a state of splendor, magnificence, blessedness, beauty. And it's something that God gives because it's God's to give glory. Um, Freedom, it points to, there's finally going to be freedom from those endless cycles. Freedom from bondage to death and decay. Freedom from that slavery to death. And it's because it means adoption. It means being brought into God's family, being reconciled to God, all creation where it feels like and appears like it's God, it's a Godless creation, it's going to be filled with God's presence and it's going to be completely reconciled to God. And then he says, the redemption even of our bodies. <clears throat> new life. That's, that's a slavery metaphor there. Redemption, freedom from death into new life. And one of the best places where Paul describes that redemption of our body, so he's talking about resurrection there, is in 1 Corinthians 15. He makes this really good analogy there of, uh, of a seed being planted in the ground and coming out as a tree, a whole new, it's been entirely transformed into something beautiful and, and new. And he says that that's kind of the way it is for us, for our bodies. When we die, we go into the ground, and because of what Jesus has done, we are transformed into something completely new. So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that's been planted, it's no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. There's that glory there. Put in the ground, it goes in weak, but it comes up powerful. 
the seed sown is natural. The seed grown is supernatural and livened by the Spirit. Same seed, same body. But what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality, mortality to when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. There we get this beautiful picture of the seed showing what this redemption of our bodies looks like. This new life, new creation that God is doing for humanity through Christ and for all of creation. And overall, that's the destiny. From the view of God's, you know, from God's point of view, that's where we're headed. The futility is just a stage on the journey, but God is doing something brand new, bringing us out of that. And the, the Spirit, by the way, is the active agent in that. Paul talks about how it's the Spirit that confirms that in us. We have the experience of the Spirit now, which is like a down payment. It's like the first fruits of that harvest that's going to come. All right, so I'm going to leave off there. I'm going to, I'm going to conclude now. And you know, just to sum it up, <clears throat> we've been talking about this really external viewpoint, the view from the mountaintop, <laughs> so to speak. From one vantage point, the vantage point of the Koaleth um, and, and even nihilism, it looks like there's just no meaning to be found. It looks like all is futile because it's just endless cycles through many, 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 many years <laughs> and all of that. It's hard to see how there's anything of lasting value and death seems to cancel everything out and nothing can escape that. But, oh yeah, and by the way, there is wisdom to that. I think that there's wisdom to that sunny nihilism, actually, and hence why it's in Scripture. because And, and hence why the Koaleth says, well, the best thing we can do is enjoy the life that we're given. Because when we look at it that way, um, you know, our life, though extremely valuable because of Christ and because of what we're seeing that we're all destined for, still, it's a blink of an eye. Our life is short, so don't sweat the small stuff is the kind of idea here. Enjoy the present. The present is all that we have. You don't know when, you know, death is around the corner, all that stuff. And it also helps us to think about, you know, just what are we fighting for when we're fighting about things? So what, what, when we place so much value in certain things that we're willing to fight about it, or we place so much value on things that we're willing to be so stressed out about our decisions. This comes in as wisdom to help us say, you know what, don't be so anxious about it all. It's not worth fighting about and all of that. So there is wisdom there. But that isn't the final, um, the, the only perspective that we have. Because from the perspective of God, because of Jesus, the pain we're going through now, it's best described as labor pains. Even though creation was subjected to futility, what Christ has done and is doing, what the Spirit is doing, we're leading to freedom from that futility, freedom from that pain. God is doing something brand new, leading all things to new life, even resurrection. So, <clears throat> what? just to end off in a way that's really practical, if you're hearing this for the first time, and you, you know, are thinking that this sounds really good, <laughs> that you want to have this perspective. I'm going to invite you to pray something with me at the end of this. Just a simple prayer um, that, that's expressing trust in Christ to help bring this about in your life. Now, also, though, for those of us who are listening to this, watching this, who are Christ followers, there's something really important for this. 
because we've been given this whole new view of the universe, God's perspective of things because of Christ. So that means that we can help people. We can help people. We can point them away from that futile perspective on life towards the hope that's ours because of what God is doing in and through Christ. But how we do that is really important that we see here. Because did you catch, Paul said, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption. There's still a groaning going on even for us while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And N.T. Wright says it really well. He says that captures the, the Christian stance in this life. Groaning and waiting, eager but patient, that is the characteristic Christian stance. So as we're seeking to help, as we're seeking to be kind of a source of hope in this world, we have to remember that, yeah, it's painful for everyone. We are not exempt from the pain. In some ways, we experience it all the more. And so, Antti Wright says this, The church is not to be apart from the pain of the world. It's to be actually in prayer at precisely the place where the world is in pain. That is part of our calling, our high but strange role within God's purposes for new creation. So if we're wondering what we can do with this new perspective that we have, that Paul talks about, I love that. Our calling is to be in prayer at precisely the place where the world is in pain. We're going to feel the pain too. We're going to feel the labor pains. And in fact, the best thing that we can do is come alongside people, even in their pain. Pray with them, be with them, love them. And in that way, pointing them towards this vision that Paul gives us, this new hope because of Christ. Trusting that this isn't, the pain isn't the final word. It's just labor pains, actually. Not just, because we don't want to minimize it. But it's labor pains on the way to this whole new life that God is working in creation and in humanity because of Jesus and through the Spirit. Great. Okay, I'm going to finish off there. Before we conclude today, um, not that I'm trying to be formal, before we finish off, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together, and I thank you for this new perspective on life that we can have because of you, Jesus. For those of us who are hearing this maybe for the first time and are thinking, yeah, I like this perspective, and I'd like this perspective to be mine. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the times when I've gone it alone, maybe even rejecting you in my life. I'm sorry for that. But I want to change. I want to change, of course. I want to change in trajectory here. And I want to start getting closer to you. Help me to give my life to you now trusting that it's in very safe hands, trusting that in you is the way to this new life that I've been hearing about. I want to trust you from this point on, and I thank you for what you're going to do. I invite you to pray that prayer and to now seek God in, in, in the days to come. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to put people in their lives to help encourage them on this new path. And for, the, for those of us who are listening and watching today who are Christ followers, I pray that you'd help us to be a source of hope in this world, a light in this dark world, showing people that futility isn't the final word, that because of you, Jesus, there is hope. 
But help us not to shirk away from our pain or the pain of others, but instead to pray for people even amidst the pain, to join people even in the pain, to be that love and hope um, in, in those circumstances, right in the circumstances of futility. So I pray for that, Lord, all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, great. Well, that's it for today. I'm so glad that you joined us today. So glad that we could be together. If you would like more prayer, have any questions, anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can contact me at jason at the I look forward to hearing from you. God bless. Take care. Bye.